Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 13. We'll read through chapter 3, verse 6. This was the second dream or vision that Joseph received from God. Joseph's first dream revealed that Mary's child would be the Messiah. His second dream told him how to protect the child's life. Although Joseph was not Jesus' natural father, he was Jesus' legal father and was responsible for his safety and well-being. Divine guidance comes only to prepared hearts. Joseph remained receptive to God's guidance. It's a good lesson for you and me there, to always remain open and receptive to what God tells us to do even when we don't understand it. Now, going to Egypt was not unusual because there were colonies of Jews in several major Egyptian cities. These colonies had developed during the time of the Great Captivity. Now, there's an interesting parallel between this flight to Egypt and Israel's history. As an infant nation, Israel went to Egypt, just as Jesus did as a child. God led Israel out, and God brought Jesus back. Both events show God working to save his people. Herod, the king of the Jews, killed all the boys under two years of age in an obsessive attempt to kill Jesus, the newborn king. He stained his hands with blood, but he did not harm Jesus. Herod was king by a human appointment. Jesus was king by a divine appointment. No one can thwart God's plans. And now let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. The New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, through chapter 3, verse 6. After the wise men were gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for Him. 
John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Several psalms are called messianic because of their prophetic descriptions of Jesus the Messiah, Christ, uh, his life, death, resurrection, and future reign. David, who may have written this psalm, was a shepherd, soldier, and king. Clearly he was also a prophet, because this psalm describes the rebellion of the nations and the coming of Christ to establish his eternal reign. This psalm is often mentioned in the New Testament. David may have written these words during a conspiracy against Israel by some of these surrounding pagan nations. Chosen and anointed by God, David knew that God would fulfill his promises to bring the Messiah into the world through his bloodline. People often think they'll be free if they can just get away from God. Yet inevitably, everyone serves somebody or something, whether a human king, an organization, or even one's own selfish desires. Just as a fish is not free when it leaves the water, and a tree is not free when it leaves the soil, we are not free when we leave the Lord. He is the uh, source and sustainer of our very lives. See, we can find the one sure route to freedom by wholeheartedly serving God, the Creator. God can set you free to be the person that He has created you to be. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger He rebukes them, terrifying them with His fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod, and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear, and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal Son, or He will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For His anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in Him! Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. 
If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivesChanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. The following audio is from The Refuge Church. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.org. Montgomery, and he says that, you know, we're called to be human. I'm sorry, we're called to be holy. Think about that. As Christians, if we're following God, there's, there's these commands that, you know, we're called to be holy. What does holy mean? It means to be other. If there's sin, if there's brokenness, we're to be the opposite of that. But at the same time, we're human. There's tension. As pastors, um, you know, the, the Bible calls us to be, in some sense, prophets. We're to be prophets. What's that mean? That means prophets declare the word of the Lord. You know, we studied Isaiah a couple weeks ago. Speaking on God's behalf. What we're doing right now, speaking Jonah too. But at the same time, we're pilgrims. We feel far from home. We're wandering in the wilderness. First Peter says we're sojourners and we're strangers. As leaders, as uh, you know, I've, I've met with a handful since being here. I've been meeting with a lot of community people and, and community development people and activists. And, and um, I love it because I'm learning so much. I'm just listening and I'm shutting my mouth. But, but what you see is that, that we're called to be radical. And a lot of folks, you see this sense that, that we're radical and that, and that we've got to go change things and that, and that we've got to do more and that we're not doing enough. But at the same sense, we're regular. And in some senses in the Word, we see that we're called to be regular. It gets really weird whenever we have a good passion in our heart, but we're doing it because we want a name for ourselves and not to advance God's name. So we're, we're called to be regular, but... We're called to be radical, but we're also called to be regular. And then there's this idea as Christians that the Bible, in so many places, calls us saints. You know? You're a saint. God welcomes you into his family. You're a saint. But at the same time, we're sinners. Right? And there's these seeming paradoxes that are in the Word, but they're there for a reason. They're there on purpose. We're to constantly be drawing near to Christ. Because if in the moment we were born again, if the moment we became regenerate, if we were perfectly holy, if we were perfectly sainted, if you will, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but we wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need God's grace on a daily basis. And so we're reminded in our struggle, and we're reminded in that. And then, and then he also said this, and this was uh, the main thrust of, of the, of the, the um, sermon that he was giving, but he paralleled, he contrasted the idea that we're called into a great commission. What does that mean? That means, you know, Matthew 28. We're called to make disciples. We're called to do. We focus so much as a church on doing. Do more. Do it big. Do it nice. Because we want to be a great commission church. But at the same time, we're called to have a great communion with God. We have to constantly be asking ourselves the question, are we doing things for a God we don't know? Because 
Because communion simply means being in the presence of God. Is what we're doing leading us to love God? Is God becoming beautiful? Is God becoming good? Is God becoming something that we love? Or is it just an idea? So do you feel that tension? That tension that says, you know, I believe that God's love, but I don't feel it. I don't experience it. I don't feel love, so is there something wrong with me? I know God saves sinners, but I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure He likes me. I'm not really sure He likes those people. And then Montgomery uh, Daniel he said that pastors are known for preaching about things beyond their experience, and I can say absolutely, absolutely, because because you know as pastors we call we exhort people to love God. We we you know you've heard me say, man. God, if you love God, you know, he'll fulfill your deepest hopes, your deepest longings, your deepest desires, while at the same time we're facing radical insecurity and fear and doubt. And yet, God calls us. Calls you, calls me, calls us. God welcomes us, God invites us, just like he does with Jonah. In the midst of this tension, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of our issues, and really, we hear this a lot, but, but, but by prefacing this text, what we have to realize is that in that, God loves you. Like, I want us to hear that, that God loves you and not just a future version of you. Not, not whenever I get all my stuff together, then God will love me. He loves you now. And he welcomes you now. And so one thing, um, you know, when you, learn, when you learn like how to study your Bible and read your Bible, what they tell you is that when you're reading narrative, you've got to look for repetition. And so Jonah's narrative. And so we're looking for repetition. And so, so what kind of repetitions are we seeing? What, what does it say over and over again? And we see two big repetitions in chapter 2. We see lament and thanksgiving. And so tonight, what, what we're just going to briefly unpack is, first of all, this prayer that Jonah begins. And then we're going we're gonna to look at lamenting and we're going to look at thanksgiving. Because so far, now what's encouraging is that the beginning of chapter 2, we see that Jonah kind of begins to get it. And what, what do we mean by that? Well, up to this point, Jonah was called by God and he ran. Like the boy just heard it and he just took off the other way. He did not listen whatsoever. And so now he finds himself in the belly of the fish. And none of this is good news. None of this is good news. Where is the gospel in chapter 1? Well, we saw that God saved the fishermen despite Jonah's obedience. But if we're looking for a role model in Jonah, we don't have one. The boy is totally disobedient. He's running. He's trying to escape God's presence, the text said, which is ridiculous because we can't run from God. You can't hide, but Jonah tries. He tries. But now it changes. We read this in, in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. If when I read that, you know what I thought? I bet some of you have been there. 
And some of you might be there right now. And I think this is the world's problem because besides the world's sin problem, um, overarching sin problem, we have a bunch of Christians that have a Jonah complex. God calls us and we run. You know, we're walking with God and He begins to speak to us. And you know, we start to realize that what He's calling us to isn't really, it doesn't fit well with our plan. And so we go, you know, God, I must have missed it somewhere. Our lines might have gotten crossed. You might have got, you know, my prayer confused with Joe's prayer. Because my prayer wasn't really, I want to plant a church in Hilltop. Mine was, I want to be a rock star in a band. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves running. And then we end up in the belly of the fish. And all of a sudden, we're asking, we, we realize, because of pain, because of, because of just wanting and longing and not feeling whole, we just got, okay, I get it. I get it. And so what we have to ask ourselves in this text is, is what is God calling you to? Let me put it this way, because that's a tough question. What are you passionate about? What fires you up? That's common grace. That's given by God. That's given by God. Another question. Are you willing to defer to God's plan over the plan that you've made for yourself? And be reminded, friends, God loves you. You just said that. God's in... And what's beautiful is just like Jonah, God is inviting you into his story. But he wants, he wants your heart. He doesn't want, he's, remember, he's not inviting you in because you're really good. And he's like, man, I need him on the varsity team. Right? He's not, he's inviting you in despite your mess. And so what he's saying is, I don't just want your, your, your doing. Because if that was the case, bro, I could have picked somebody way better than y'all. Right? He's inviting us in to change us. He's inviting us in because he wants our heart. He wants our affections. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be in a relationship of love with you. That's the only thing that makes sense. Because you're a fool, man. And so often, he he draws us out of comfort and into faith. And faith is uncomfortable. Faith isn't natural to us. Faith causes us to do one of two things. Run or pray. Right? We see it in the text. When God calls us to do something and there's faith involved, meaning I don't know how this is going to work out, I don't know what's going on, which if we were to be honest with ourselves is, is all the time, we have this illusion of control. But... When, when there's faith, I've got to step out. I don't know how it's going to be. We run or we pray. And sometimes we run until we're in the belly of a fish. And Paul Tripp, he says, you know, faith isn't natural. Fear's natural. Trying to, you know, control the outcome is natural. Worry's natural. Working until you're exhausted and spent is natural. Doing something easy and predictable is natural. Faith isn't natural. Faith isn't natural to us. And God, man, throughout the whole Bible, God never calls us to fear, but he often calls us to faith. I would even go as far to say he always calls us to faith. It's by faith we're saved. 
Why? Because God is, in essence, asking us in that moment, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you really trust me? Am I really the Lord of your life? Are you in control or am I in control? Do you want your comfort more than you want my presence? And so this kind of prayer that, that Jonah's praying, whenever we're in this moment, this kind of prayer, it's birthed, it's begun through pain. Pain gets us there. And what I mean is this, not necessarily physical pain, maybe that's, that, that's the case, that's your story, but you know, th- this kind of pain is, is that moment when you don't know where else to go. When you don't know where else to run, your thoughts are, and you might not even consciously say this to yourself, but I'm lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I belong. I've been arrogant. I thought I had all the answers, but now, in this moment, I feel lost. I don't have any answers. I've tried my answers, and they just left me stuck. Or they left me wanting more. I feel lost. I'm spent. I tried other options. And the deepest, down deep in us, really what we experience is, I'm in need. I need something, and none of this is feeling it. I'm in need. And we pray. Right? Finally. After all that, chapter one, whatever that story looked like for you, then we pray because of pain. And what I want us to realize, first of all, is that that is the grace of God because God's pursuing you. So I think a lot of us have been there. Second thing we see is lament. We have to notice the lament. The American church is either too good at this or really, really bad at it. And so we see Jonah, he's in the darkness. Read this beautiful language. Verse 3 says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your, all your waves, all of them, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Darkness, flood, these towering waves, right? And I don't know how this is going to look, but there's this picture. Yeah, it's terrible looking on the screen. <laughs> but in essence, it's, it's you're on the, you know, it just, it, it looks like how, how we can feel. You know, you're on the sand, on the beach, it's late at night, it's eerie. And that's just how you feel in your soul. Darkness. I can't really see very far ahead of me. I see water. I don't have a lot of pictures. And so, have you ever felt like God is absent? And I think this is a wonderful invitation. Because a lot of happy, clappy Christian churches, they struggle with this stuff, man. And what Jonah is inviting us to and what about three-fourths of the Psalms are inviting us to is we can be who we are with God. We can be who we are with God. We can be broken. We can be honest with God. We have permission to be broken in God's presence. Our prayers don't have to be, Lord, I have it all together. Praise be to God. 
I mean, oftentimes my prayer, you know, even just this past week, like, you start to feel, like, down on yourself, you know? And so I'm like, man, I'm distracted. And then my prayer was just, Lord, hear my distracted prayer. I've got all these fears and these thoughts. Just, what's cool is you'll hear me in the middle of that. I'm distracted. I'm prone to wander. Hear my forgetfulness. Just, I'm here. And I don't really know what to say, but I'm here. In this text, we see lament. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And the weeds are there because, you know, a lot of commentators were saying that it means he's so deep down. He's towards the bottom. I just love that imagery. I feel lost. Jonah's like, I feel forgotten. I feel this longing. I can't shake it. I have this sense of loss. I don't quite know what's missing. There's tension. There's unknowing. What's next? Where am I going? What's to become of me? Learn to lament. Learn to lament. Learn to pray like that. And if you don't really know how to do it, open up the Psalms and just pray the Psalms. Just pray the Psalms, man. You'll probably relate with David a lot more than you think. And so, but many of us, I think I think some of my friends even, the artsy people type of folks who are young and angsty, we need to learn about the next thing a little bit too. The next one. We need to learn from these happy, clappy churches, right? The ones that we're like, oh, those, those, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go there. I don't have time. I'm sorry. But there's a beautiful reality. There's a sense of trust. And so we see, we also see Jonah praising God. We see Jonah praising God. Jonah begins to lift up thanksgiving to God. And so in verse 2, he says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. This is crazy, all right? Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. What I want us to notice here is that, and this is important, Jonah prays this prayer before the Lord delivers him from the belly of the fish. This is profound. His, the boy's situation has not changed at all. His circumstances have not gotten any better. But in effect, he's saying, I know you hear me. I know I ran. I know I disobeyed. But I trust you. I know you hear me. I love this. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. Don't you feel like you get there sometimes? Pain, 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 suffering, longing. Things start getting better and you don't feel any different. And then all of a sudden you're like, I remember that you're good. I remember. He begins to praise God in the midst of his toil. He begins to praise God in the midst of the darkness. Still there. It's no different. And like us, you know, we forget that God's good. 
we forget that God is sovereign, which just means that God is in control. We forget that God loves us. Or even further, yeah, God might like me, but or God might love me, but I don't even I don't really know He likes me. He even likes you. He wants to be in a love relationship with you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants the gospel to become something that you don't just affirm. That's just something like Ryan was talking about in that video. It's not just something that you say, oh yeah, I know that. He wants it to be connected to your heart where you believe it and it changes the way you live. It changes your motivations because it's not just what you know, it's what you and what you do about it, but it's why. Why do you do what you do? Because if we're good because, you know, I'm good because I want people to think good of me, that's still, there's still some deep evil in your heart. I worship God because I love God. I serve God because I love God. I'm not saying this about me. I'm saying that's what we have to remind ourselves. Do I love Him? Do I remember Him? So learn to lament, but also learn to praise God because God is alive and well. God is for your good despite whatever your current situation looks or feels like. This is why we sing praise. This is why we worship. We remember. We remember God's faithfulness to us. We remember God's love for us. And then Jonah says this. Or, uh, this is written in verse 8 through 10. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have owed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is where he, begin, he remembers the gospel, right? He remembers the gospel and he begins to give thanks to God even more. He's basically saying, your idols, your counterfeit gods, your counterfeit, all these desires, these, these functional saviors that you've, that you've put up, that relationship or your job or the idea of power or authority or success or whatever you think, if I had that, I would be satisfied. All of that stuff, you will not find peace, the peace, peace, shalom, the deepest peace that will fulfill the longings, the deep needs of your heart. They just won't do it. That's what he's saying here. You find hope in Jesus. You find hope in in Christ's gospel. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You cannot, you and I, we cannot save ourselves. We can't pick ourselves up. We cannot fix ourselves. We need God and we need His grace. Jesus is your fixer. Jesus is your deliverer. Jesus is your Savior. And so we must remember. And not only that, we must constantly remind ourselves of that. So in closing, let's not, fail to, let's not fail to recognize that in this season of Advent, it's difficult for many folks. Even in the jolliness of the season, um, those that have faced death or those that have faced, um, you know, just relationships that are awry, some are praising and in thanksgiving, but some are lamenting. 
And we have to be conscious of that. And we have to provide space and room for that. Learn to lament. You have permission to cry out to God. And sometimes, friends, the best thing to do when people are lamenting is just say, I don't know, but I love you. And I'm here. Just be present. You know, but those little maxims that you say, those little pragmatic phrases that you say, just don't say them. I know how you feel. No, you don't. Just say, I love you. I'm here. We need to leave space for people. But for many of us, for a lot of us, we need to remember God's goodness. We need to remember God's goodness and God's grace. We need to learn to praise and give thanks. And so you have permission to be joyful and to give thanks to God and to praise God. And lastly, in in whatever tension you find yourself at this evening, our prayer for you is that you would is that you would pray. Right? Our hope for you is that is that in essence you would look up, you would remember the gospel. That, that by the illumination of God's Spirit, the gospel of Jesus would become something that's beautiful to you. It's not just good. It's not just something that, yeah, I affirm it, I believe it. It's something that's beautiful. It's something that's awesome. It's something that you, that you relish, that you, that you find joy in. Because some of you are lost without hope. Right? Some of us, you know, you're dead in your sins and you need a relationship with Christ. And apart from Christ, you have no hope, you have no peace. So what does faith look like? This will be brief. brief. Because I think think sometimes we don't do a great job of just saying, what does a Christian look like? What does it look like? And, 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 And simply, I just thought, you know, faith is genuine trust in Jesus and it looks like active repentance. Faith is genuine trust in Jesus and it looks like active repentance. That means the people that scare me the most are the people that are like, yeah, I'm good. I don't have any problems. Things are great. You know? Everything's really shiny in their life. Worry for those folks, man. Because it's just not very human. Active repentance is... is it's, not, it's not like you're in a, this constant idol hunt and you're just constantly despairing because I'm not like Jesus. But you realize your failure and you realize your need and you're constantly saying, man, I'm weak in this area. I'm struggling here. But by God's grace, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to become more like him. I love him. That's what active repentance looks like. And listen, God just doesn't want your heart. He most certainly does. But he wants your life. And so the next thing we must do is we must engage. We have to act. We have to, we have to um, become a part of the team. We've got to do something. So, so we have to learn what it means to be a Christian, not just, you know, take in the things that you've heard. You know, many of us will ramble off a few things that we hate about Christianity, but anybody can come up with the stuff that they don't like about something. We must learn about what true, true Christianity is, what it means, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. What is that? Let's not be a church that knows what we're against, but let's, let's propagate what we're actually for. So act. 
Be a part of the conversation. Read a book for heaven's sake. Listen more. And repent. Turn from Basically, repentance is turning from your way and turn to God's way. And it's a constant cycle. It's a constant thing. It's a constant reality in our life. And this is going to tick some of you off, but, but, the, but the New Testament calls us to commit to a local church. That's what a Christian looks like, is commitment to a local church. You can't do this alone. Community is vitally important for your growth. This isn't just some marketing scheme for you to be a part of this. If you hate us, go somewhere else. But the Bible calls us to be committed to a local church. It's vitally important for your growth, but we get so American radical individualist, it's all about my growth. It's important for other people's growth too, man. God's given you gifts and other people need those. We need each other for encouragement, for rebuke. And a text that the American church is terrible at unpacking is as Paul says, to bear one another's burdens. We're really good at saying, you're a sinner, you suck, change. But Paul says, bear with one another's burdens. Which implies the fact that we have not arrived yet. You can't bear one another, with one another's burdens alone, and you cannot do it effectively outside of committed, committed community. You can't. It doesn't make sense. Hey, how are you doing? How's that sin struggle? What's going on? You're like not committed to one another. You don't really know it. You're like, bro, what is, whoa. It's weird. That only happens effectively within the context of a local church and committed. There's a reason that marriage and church membership are so much alike because they're both Christian. They're both Christian. And Christianity is about a radical commitment to God and a radical commitment to one another. I know I'm rambling, but I'm almost done. The two greatest commandments we see in Matthew are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when it says neighbor, it's most certainly talking about your physical neighbor, but it's also talking about the church, and the church is people. It's a certain group of Christians within a physical location that you do life with. And all throughout the New Testament, that is implied. It's just there. So evidence of a true Christian includes, but is not limited to, faith that looks like genuine trust in God which is lived out in our lives. It includes repentance, and, and, and it includes involvement in a local church. And I exhort you to that. You know, I'm not going to twist your life. I'm just saying that's what it is. You, it's your choice. But I, I pray for you in that. I pray that you see the beauty in that. And if you are a Christian, if you are committed, the big message tonight is learn to lament, learn to love people that are in that season. But even more than that, man, learn to give thanks to God, for God is good. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we invite you. And you're already here. I just thank you that we can gather together. That we can look at your scriptures and and be encouraged, be rebuked. I mean, I know I am. It's like I have to get up here and talk about it, and it's like, man, I'm, I'm just like, I just feel, man, encouraged, but like rebuked by this stuff. But you're so merciful in how you do that. You're so gracious that at the same time, you, you still welcome us in. You still call us to do your work. You still invite us in, even though we're a bunch of rebellious Jonas at times. You say, I still love you. 
I'm still pursuing you. And God, you, you care for us. You care for us. I just pray that we'd see that tonight. I pray that those that are, that are in, a, in, a, in, a, in a situation, the tension looks a lot more like lamenting and, and, and they're wrestling with, with just suffering in life and whatever that looks like. I pray that by your Spirit you would comfort them. And I pray that they wouldn't bury it. They wouldn't ignore it. They would just, they would give it to you. And whatever that looks like, they would just say, this is what I am right now. And they would just give it to you. And I pray for for many of us, all of us, that we would remember that you're good, that you love us despite the fact we don't deserve it, and that should produce within us in the deepest in the deepest caverns of our soul, a true and genuine just gratefulness and humility and generosity and peace. That yeah, my situation might not have changed today and you know, I might be in the midst of darkness, but God, you're good and I trust you and I trust that you're working all things together for your glory and for our good. Remind us of that, Lord. Help us as a church to remind one another of that. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.